Hello, this is Daryl Castle with today's Castle Report. Today is Friday, April 17th, 2020. And on this report, I will be talking about the virus. What else but the virus? Our efforts to fight the world war against an unseen enemy. I want so much to find some other issue to talk about anything else, but there are no other issues. There are no issues unrelated to the virus, so it's all virus all the time. Here at the Castle Household, this is day 28, so a month, four weeks of house arrest for Joan and I. We are healthy, virus-free for now, and so is our daughter. Stuck on a small island, unable to return home for, well, we don't know how long. The question for today, the question we're going to consider today is what price victory? What will the efforts to fight the virus and to protect us from the virus Cost in terms of money, but more importantly, in terms of human freedom. Will a long-term lockdown save us from the virus, or will it cause more problems than it solves? There can be little doubt that locking ourselves away indefinitely will prevent our getting the virus. But if complete safety were the only issue, we could lower the speed limit to 20 miles an hour. We would be safer. But can you run a modern society without any risk? Vaccines are one proposed solution. The loudest proponent proponent of vaccines as a solution in this world today is Bill Gates. Mr. Gates also funds much of the research and he profits from final delivery of the vaccines. Mr. Gates wants to hold the entire world in lockdown for up to 18 months while he develops a vaccine through his companies. We would then be required to have his vaccine injected into our bodies and to accept what he calls a digital certificate to indicate to the world that we are now safe. That digital mark would be required for many of the normal functions of our lives. One of the ideas proposed to solve our virus problems, a long-term lockdown, but let's look at some of the effects that would have and is having on us individually and as a country. Is life simply a bodily function, no more? Or is a human thriving another element of living? To thrive, we do not require some, do we not require some occupation that is meaningful to us if we have no profession, no occupation that we have prepared many years to perform? We don't become like hawks that sit on fence posts along the interstates waiting for cars and trucks to provide their food. In effect, these hawks are no longer hawks, but now buzzards just waiting to be fed. Robert Kennedy Jr. has spoken and written extensively about Bill Gates' globalist agenda. Quote from Mr. Kennedy, quote, Vaccines for Bill Gates are a strategic philanthropy that feed his many vaccine-related businesses, including... Microsoft's ambition to control a global vaccination ID enterprise and give him dictatorial control of global health policy. Mr. Kennedy went on to say, Gates' obsession with vaccines seems to be fueled by a conviction to save the world with technology, end quote. Save the world with technology. So he's a messiah. I suppose he's very disappointed he's not the actual messiah. Mr. Kennedy points out that around the turn of this century, Mr. Gates took control of India's National Technical Advisory Group of Immunization, which mandated 
up to 50 doses of polio vaccine to children before the age of five. Indian doctors blamed the Gates campaign for a devastating non-polio acute flaccid paralysis epidemic that paralyzed 490,000 children between 2000 and 2017. The Indian government asked Mr. Gates to leave the country and the rates of paralysis dropped significantly when he did so. In 2017, the World Health Organization admitted that the global explosion in polio is predominantly vaccine strain. The worst epidemics in Congo, Afghanistan, and the Philippines are all linked to vaccines. By 2018, according to the World Health Organization, 70% of global polio cases were vaccine strain. I could go on for this entire report on what Mr. Gates' messianic efforts have accomplished, but I will for time reasons. Mention only a few more. HPV experimental vaccines given to young girls in India's remote provinces with severe side effects, including autoimmune disease and death. In 2010, an experimental malaria vaccine killed many African infants as well as inflicting paralysis, seizures, and convulsions on them. By two, in 2002, the Gates Foundation forcibly vaccinated thousands of children in sub-Saharan Africa against meningitis. Many developed paralysis. African newspapers referred to Africans as guinea pigs for the drug makers. In 2010, Mr. Gates committed $10 billion to the World Health Organization, saying, quote, we must make this a decade of vaccines, end quote. A month later, in a TED Talk, Mr. Gates said that the new vaccines, quote, could reduce population, end quote. The Kenyan Catholic Doctors Association accused the World Health Organization of chemically sterilizing millions of unwilling African women with a tetanus vaccine campaign. The WHO finally admitted that it had been developing sterility vaccines for over a decade. A 2017 study showed that WHO's DTP vaccine is killing more African children than the disease it supposedly prevents. DTP vaccinated girls have suffered 10 times the death rate of those who have not yet received the vaccine. Global public health advocates Blame Mr. Gates for steering whose efforts away from public health and into vaccines to Mr. Gates' good health policy comes only in a syringe. He controls a pharmaceutical company that manufactures vaccines, and he is donating $50 million to 12 companies to speed up production of a COVID-19 vaccine, perhaps he will be given the opportunity to experiment on all of us with his dictatorial programs. Mr. Kennedy's report on Bill Gates and the Gates Foundation is hard-hitting, but non-committal as to motives. He makes no judgment of the population control aspects of it, except that it exists. I suppose by accident, pure evil is something that's very hard to understand in human beings Unless one studies human nature throughout history, it is desperately wicked. Human nature, that is. Always has been, I hope. And pray that our government and those of other countries will not follow this Messiah any further. Many doctors, solidly in the pro-vaccine camp, 
believe that the coronavirus vaccine is very dangerous, very troublesome. Paul Offit and Peter Hotez, two of the most pro-vaccine scientists and doctors out there, said that the COVID-19 efforts to develop a vaccine are, quote, unique and frightening, that there are dangers involved in fast-track development and in avoiding animal testing. There have been hyper-immune response problems with other vaccine, uh, virus vaccines. Mr. Gates is obviously aware of these problems because he said, quote, we require indemnification. You hear that, folks? In other words, he wants legal immunity from any damage he may cause with this vaccine. Well, Bill, you don't have to worry about that. Vaccine manufacturers are already immune. And to sue one, you have to proceed through the vaccine courts in an effort to recover taxpayer money, not money from the one who actually caused the damage. Only two vaccine courts currently exist, one in Atlanta, one in Los Angeles. So it is very difficult to even sue through the vaccine courts. Further protection for the manufacturers is that to be paid for winning, an attorney must make an appeal to the vaccine court and is at their mercy for any fee. One could possibly conclude from my presenting Mr. Kennedy's findings that I am opposed to vaccine entirely. I'm suspicious, therefore completely opposed to forced vaccination. In addition, I'm very opposed to the loss of freedom a digital certificate would bring. Would you like to go to the new world, the new world order, the new government, to get a digital pass in order to fly on an airplane, buy gasoline, buy food, pay your rent, get a mortgage? Well, I wouldn't. And we should not submit to such dictatorial requirements. Several other reasons to think the cure may be worse than the disease also exist. Every projection model for the virus so far has been terribly wrong. The first death projection number that I saw was around 10,000. Then all of a sudden, it was estimated to be between 200 and 240,000 dead. Much of our decision-making was apparently made based on those numbers. The death numbers have been revised downward to 60,000 now to around 50,000. Yet no change in behavior has been recommended or allowed. No admission that the numbers were all wrong. The death numbers, according to the CDC memo, represent not those killed by the virus, but the numbers listing it as a cause, the numbers listing the virus as a cause, not those actually dead from the virus. We therefore have made critical decisions of life and death based on false information. The interesting thing about all this, at least for me, has been the return, however slight, of the concept of federalism from history. From your history books, you may remember that federalism was the founder's concept that sovereignty resided in the states, that the federal government had only the power ceded to it by the states. Right now, nine states are not under state-imposed stay-at-home orders. Those are Utah, Wyoming, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Iowa, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and South Carolina. The governor of South Carolina, Christy Nome. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Christy Nome said, quote, the people themselves are primarily responsible for own, their own safety. End quote. She quoted both the state and the federal constitutions as restricting her ability to order a stay at home. Governor Nome is 
opposed in her view by Governor Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan, who seems to have taken totalitarian rule to a new level. Michigan residents are forbidden to travel to their own property within the state. The people of Michigan cannot legally buy seeds or garden equipment. Neither can they buy a car seat for their child's safety. None of those things are considered essential by the governor. Remember, folks, there is no problem from the federal government that it cannot make worse. No problem. They can't make worse. The Federal Reserve, which is at least a private wing of the federal government, has said it will literally print to infinity to fill all the holes eaten by the virus. The government, both federal and state, assumes all power over what is essential for us and what is not. They decide, in other words, what is essential for us and what is not. In most states, church is not essential. We are forbidden to attend services. We are, however, permitted to shop at Walmart. The various policies by many different states are examples of the return of federalism. So are the borders of some states being protected from being crossed by people from highly infected areas. Many who just a few months ago argued for open borders nationally now closed their own state borders. The founders had a vision that the virus hasn't taken away, but it has served as an excuse to limit that vision, to limit freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of unmolested movement, freedom to bear arms and to defend oneself from harm. People are starting to reassert those rights, however, as evidenced by the petition to recall Governor Whitmer up in Michigan, which now has several hundred thousand names on it. We have the CARES Act, which is supposed to limit the damage from the virus. That's the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act. The doling out of the money has proven to be a bureaucratic nightmare, as you might expect. The theory behind why all the trillions will not cause runaway inflation is that demand is almost non-existent right now. But most importantly, the trillions of dollars are not infusing any new money into the economy, but replacing old money that has disappeared due to, due, due to the virus. J.P. Morgan projects a second quarter GDP collapse for America of 40%. That much of a drop in production will mean mass unemployment, as has been confirmed by the almost 17 million unemployment applications in only three weeks if we don't allow people to return to work soon. The entire country will be living hand-to-mouth from the government's printing press, this new government power. Through the Federal Reserve to completely take over the entire economy is more than just a little scary for me, folks. Total power to the government, more Chinese, communist, than free market American. In fact, right now, the federal government in this printing press is the market accounting for at least 50% of what used to be GDP. Suppose we get go back to work. Then a resurgence of the virus happens, which is probably likely. Should we immediately return to lockdown status? Think about World War II and what happened then, folks. World War II ended in 1945. The factories converted from making Jeeps and tanks to making cars and refrigerators. The men came home from the war in 1946 was a booming year for the economy as millions of former military 
went back to the civilian workforce. The uncertainty of war was over. People were certain, hopeful, that the war would never come back. What if the government had told all the soldiers that, go back to work, guys, go back to the factories, but in a couple of months, the enemy might start the war all over again. Then you'll have to leave work and return to your uniforms. That would have caused mass uncertainty and despair of an unfinished job, a job undone. That is the same with the virus, to get that certainty, that optimism. Go back to work and stay there no matter what. I recommend we take a look at the Swedish model, at least consider it, whereby the Swedes did not stop their economy. A social distancing required, recommended, only for the vulnerable. That system has periodic setbacks. But the Swedish GDP declined only 4% instead of the projected disastrous 40% for hours. Finally, folks, as I said once before, there are no good answers, just bad ones and worse ones. However, I have concluded that long-term stay-at-home orders will cause far more problems than they solve. At least that's the way I see it. Until next time, folks, this is Daryl Castle. Thanks for listening.